Rittenhouse is found not guilty on all charges, and I am happy that the court of justice has done its job, but I am sad that the court of public opinion has been irrevocably damaged by a lying media, or the left more generally, but I repeat myself, they are hell-bent on pushing a narrative of hate. Brothers and sisters, we must come together and pursue the truth, even when it is uncomfortable. If you're hurt and confused by this trial, please do more research for yourself and don't listen to the media. They are not objective and they have an agenda. Justice comes not from our feelings, but from the truth. And the truth is often unsettling. That is the nature of truth. However, truth is also freeing. Truth brings peace, real peace. This world hates the truth and they hate peace because this world is controlled by the devil who is the father of lies. Don't forget who the real enemy is. Welcome to Church Public. Let's get started. Welcome back to Church Public. I'm really glad that you joined me here today. Hopefully you made it through that beginning because today we've got to talk about a difficult subject, apparently. This is the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, and we're going to talk about it, but not in the way that other outlets are talking about it. I hope we're going to talk about it from the sense of biblical justice, and we're going to look at it in the way of why did this happen? Why is it a thing in the first place? And what implications does that have for this culture going forward? That is the thing that is really concerning to me, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. If you haven't already, go ahead and check out churchpublic.com. You can find other episodes there and other resources. I'm going to try to continue to build that up as time goes along. I sincerely appreciate your help and supporting and sharing of this channel. I'm trying to help you engage with this culture while following after Jesus and not becoming like the culture, and more and more that is difficult. We'll see some of that today. I really wanted to talk about this topic the Rittenhouse trial, because I think it speaks to the justice system in general as it is currently operating in America, but I think it speaks to more, and that is the cultural reality of what we're actually dealing with here. Why is this a big issue? Why is it a big issue across America, and why is it so dividing? I do think I have an answer, and it's not coming from me, it's coming from God, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to see what God's word has to say about this. And we're going to start with Jesus, because I always like to start with, for me, the author and perfecter of my faith, Jesus Christ. So in Matthew 5, he talks about a lot of things, and Jesus happens to talk about justice in this chapter. In Matthew 5, 38 is where we're going to start. And, and we're starting here intentionally because I think this draws into the larger context of what we are really talking about. Here is Matthew 5, 38. So Jesus says, You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I read a little extra there, but I think it's worth it. So this is important. And why is this important? And what is Jesus even talking about here? Well, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 19.21. And he's quoting Deuteronomy because he's talking about Mosaic law. And he's talking about 
what's good about Mosaic Law and what is incomplete about Mosaic Law. So for one minute, we have to look at Mosaic Law because we have to understand what in the world Jesus is talking about and what does this have to do with us today? Well, it has a lot to do with us today, but it had a lot to do with the disciples and the people following Jesus then as well. What we probably don't understand, we've heard this eye for an eye, and we think that is the definition of justice. We think that your punishment should be equal to the crime. And ostensibly that's true. Your punishment should be equal to the crime. But what we don't understand is the reason Moses had to impose this eye for eye law is because that was the limiting principle of the time. And it is, in fact, still the limiting principle of this time. We're going to go on to get into what Jesus says and how he helps us understand this more fully, but you have to understand Mosaic Law. And it is, in fact, still a good principle. It's not the complete principle, but it's a good principle. Why? Because an eye for an eye is limiting. Why? Because if someone cuts off your finger, you only get to cut off their finger. If this was not the law of Moses, of God, the limiting principle of the time, it's very easy, and we all know this is true, to move into... Well, an eye then doesn't just cost an eye, it costs a life. So it's an eye for a life. Or it accelerates into an eye for 10 lives. Or it accelerates into one life for 100 lives and on and on. We know this is true. Look at any history book of any society in the history of the world. We know we, not just the people in the past, not just the people in history, the people right here in this city, country, world today still do this. We get incensed. We want to have vengeance. We want to have revenge for the things that have been done to us, and not even just to us. We want to have revenge for the people done to the injuries done to other people, and we want revenge. We don't just want justice. This is how our hearts are wired. People are so in arms, literally in arms. They've taken up arms. They are angry, and they want vengeance. They don't want justice because the limiting principle that Jesus talks about as he's quoting Moses here is you can only give the right amount of justice. You cannot give more. More than justice is no longer justice. It's revenge. And we're going to hear what God has to say about revenge in just a moment. We're going to move on to Romans in just a second. So hold on to that. But it's important to understand that God is a God of justice. God is the one who gets to determine justice at what level it occurs and how it makes sense. We don't get to determine that. However, he has placed people in this world to help us understand how to deal with justice in particular situations. And it's not for you or me. And the American justice system has also been created in specifically that way. I mean, to be very clear, specifically a Christian sense. Our our country, our constitution, our law system is not based on however you felt about something because that is how you get to tyranny. That is how you get to vengeance and revenge. When you do something wrong, I get to kill you and your family. We've all seen this. We've all seen these movies. We've all read these stories. We've all seen, if you are into history, the history of how this happens. Hatfields and McCoys, maybe you have heard of them. But there are many actual, uh, I mean, that is real life, but there are many other real life examples of where one action spurred an entire war 
For instance, we've talked about Afghanistan. Some of the wars and the, the tribal disputes in Afghanistan have been going on for centuries, and no one even remembers why these things began. But the vengeance, the revenge, continues and continues because in vengeance there is no end. So we need to go to Romans to unpack this further. I'm going to go to Romans, the end of Romans 12. And Romans 12, it seems, as Paul wrote this, that he wrote this reading through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this Matthew 5 passage. He actually parallels a lot of it in here. But we're going to try to focus on this one single thing. So we're going to start in 12, I'll start in 1217. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Very similar language here, an eye for an eye. Don't do evil for evil. But he goes on to say in verse 19, do not take revenge, leave room for God's wrath. In other translations, maybe you've heard this, uh, and even back to the King James, vengeance is mine. You've probably heard that statement. That's what God is saying here. He says, leave room for God's wrath. Wrath, it is written, it is mine to avenge, avenge, excuse me, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to move on to 13, Romans 13, uh, verse 3, because this completes this thought. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you not? Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. Now, it's important to understand this verse, and you can go back and read it, and as always, don't take any of this for my word. Go and read some of these things, but it's important to understand this because the word that Paul uses here for servant of justice is deacon, diakonos. It is in the Greek, the same word we heard for minister or deacon. Uh, in many churches, you may have heard that, and Paul goes on to say these are deacons of wrath. What does this mean? What does this mean in our context? Well, in the American system of law, again, inspired by this, make no mistake, we have law enforcement. This is a Western rule of law, a Western concept that we have law enforcement, and the law enforcement is the agent of justice, the minister of wrath, the deacon of justice. That's what law enforcement is supposed to do. That is their sworn oath. That is their duty. That's what they're supposed to do in these situations. But the question is, how do we live life without these deacons, these servants of justice? This is how God has tried to set up the system of justice and the people some of the people, some of the leaders in certain cities in America are not following this model. What happens when these servants, these deacons of justice, the law enforcement agencies are told to stand down when people are rioting and burning the cities? In Kenosha, where law enforcement was told to leave uh, and stand down after the shooting of Jacob Blake, where we find the scene of this unfolding, and Jacob Blake did have a knife while turning to potentially attack police. These are facts. You can go and look them up. What do we do with that? 
This is where you get this, uh, I don't know what to say, famous Chiron of CNN during the time. And I, and if you're not watching, you can go and look at this at churchpublic.com. The Chiron is, this is a fiery but peaceful protest. And I didn't pull the, the audio clip, but that's what this reporter is saying as well. And if you're not seeing this clip, and if you've never seen this clip, go and <laughs> go and check it out on churchpublic.com. The, the the buildings are literally burning behind this person, but it's a peaceful protest. This is in this. We've talked about gaslighting before, but this is what we get to. We get to this place where you cannot believe your lying eyes. They're telling you, don't believe your lying eyes. What you're seeing is not real. This fire that you're seeing because law enforcement, the agents of justice, the deacons of justice, the servants of the law were told to leave. The fires that are burning are not real. They are peaceful. The city is burning down. People are looting the cities, burning the cities, attacking people. But it's peaceful. This is peace. This is where you have to be founded in the truth. You have to have some grounding in something beyond what this world is telling you because this world is telling you a lie. That's why I started today saying, don't forget who your enemy is, the father of lies. And these lies are invasive, sometimes subtle. Sometimes like this case, they're not subtle. So where do we go from here? And what does this trial have to do with us? Well, this evidence demands a verdict, does it not? Is that not the rule of law? But what of evidence? Does it even matter? And in this case, apparently not. Though the trial seems to have run its course and seems to have ended in a place where, quote-unquote, justice was served, I could tell you about evidence. I could tell you Jacob Blake had a knife and a warrant for his arrest and a restraining order from the very person he was visiting the day of the shooting, who is the same person who called the police on him before he was shot. And by the way, he's not dead, though I've seen many reports all over the interwebs that he's dead. He, he's not dead. He, he wasn't. Anyway, side note. I could tell you Rittenhouse did not cross state lines with a gun. I could tell you Rittenhouse had multiple family members in Kenosha. I could tell you Rittenhouse only lived 20 to 30 minutes away, so state lines, okay, but who doesn't drive 20 or 30 minutes every week? I could tell you two, all three of the people shot in the Rittenhouse incident were white. I could tell you all three of the people shot were criminals, convicted felons, including violent and terrible and terrifying pedophilia. I can tell you Rittenhouse was offering medical aid to those that were hurt regardless of who they were during this fiery but peaceful protest, a.k.a. riot. I could tell you all of these things, and I could tell you more, which are all true, but the reality now is the facts don't matter. The narrative has been set, and the left will push this narrative uphill in the snow both ways until they reach the peak of their own utopia. That is, that a white supremacist racist nation is purged of all of its sin. That is their goal, no matter the truth. It doesn't matter. So the problem is, where does this leave us? Some people accept this verdict. Some people do not. The baseline, though, is clear. The police, the law, the truth has been lost. You can even turn to President Biden, who is clearly conflicted by this because the old school, I think, part of him, who has been, again, in politics for almost 50 years at this point, first said, quote, while the verdict in Kenosha will leave many Americans feeling angry and concerned, myself included, we must acknowledge the jury has spoken, end quote. He went on to soft 
soft pedal and, and back pedal on this. Um, and you hear it even in this statement that people are angry and concerned with the verdict, though he admits that justice was served. I think it was even better said by CNN's Chris Cuomo with Don Lemon, or Lemon, as some people say. Cuomo says, quote, I think this is a terrible situation, and while he is speaking of Rittenhouse, not guilty, there is a lot about this situation. While he has the right to do it under the law, it wasn't right. Don Lemon responds, we shouldn't be celebrating people carrying assault-style weapons in and around the street openly, whether it's Kyle or whomever. That is what law enforcement is for. Cuomo responds, quote, I hear you, but the law rules, and here the law is the bad guy, end quote. Did you hear that part? That end part is the thing. They're talking about Rittenhouse. They're talking about the fact that even though he was acquitted and found not guilty on all charges by the justice system of the United States of America, by a jury of his peers, it doesn't matter why, because one, the police are the ones who are supposed to deal justice. We read the Romans passage that actually acknowledges that's true but they were not there. They were told by the leaders in the city to not be there. So the next end result is, quote, the law is the bad guy, end quote. This is the problem. What happens when the rulers remove the police? What happens when they let the cities burn and then tell us we are wrong for not wanting to be killed or lose our private property or have other irreparable damages? In these instances, we have lost. When we see the facts in this case, when the facts don't matter, we have lost. When all we can say is what we are allowed to say, we have lost. We cannot speak the truth anymore. I mean, we are told we cannot speak the truth anymore. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter what we're, what is real. We can't say it, whether it's a man is a woman, whether it is there's only two genders, whether it is marriages between a man and a woman, whether it is Kyle Rittenhouse had every right to defend his own life from being killed by three violent convicted felons. We can't say those things. Because it doesn't matter what the truth is. It only matters what you're allowed to say in this environment. And that is a problem. It's a problem for the rule of law, but it's a bigger problem. It's a bigger problem because this is turned into something that has consequences for you and for me. That's the problem here. Yes, they can and will charge you with anything they want to. And yet other people get off scot-free. As we've noted in the past, many of the rioters throughout the last year have had no charges filed against them. But this case, where clearly, as soon as the facts were known, there was no case. And as we all watched on TV the case unfold, it became more and more clear when the prosecution delivered its own witnesses who countermanded their own case showing favor in facts towards the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse, it didn't matter. It still didn't matter because only the narrative can be pushed forward. And we hear that from the left and from the academics and from the celebrities who have literally gone nuts. I was going to read you a bunch of quotes from celebrities, but I'm not going to. You can go and look them up. They, they have all lost their minds because the truth doesn't matter. All that matters is your feeling. And all that matters is, are you feeling bad about this? Do you think there's something more going on, even though the facts of this, this instance don't support it? 
that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what reality is. And this consequence goes into your life because now can you say what you want to say? Can you speak openly about this situation? Can you speak openly about LGBTQ plus situations? Can you speak openly about not understanding how personal pronouns, which have been a part of English for quite a while, now can be used in whatever way you want or invented at nauseum? And I mean that in the sense that I just recently, this couple of weeks, read that you can have cat pronouns, you can have frog pronouns, you can have fish pronouns, you can have demon pronouns. I'm not making these up. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. This is how our society is going forward. Again, a lot of this is available on TikTok, though I encourage you not to go there. So you can find these things, and we're encouraged that we cannot say these. And uh, a recent Cato study found 62% of Americans are afraid to voice their true views. 62%. And nearly a quarter of academics endorse outing a colleague, another professor or teacher, for having a wrong opinion about some of these issues. Many people have been fired, fined, or worse for this trial we're talking about, including other issues like immigration, gender differences, etc., as I've mentioned. 70% of students favor reporting professors if the professor says something the students don't like or find offensive, according to a Chali Institute for Global Innovation survey. This is the culture that we're in. I had a conversation just a couple of days ago with a person who listened to an episode and said, I I can't believe what you were saying. It's not that bad. Like, I work in an industry where it's not that bad. And I had to say, your particular and specific place may be insulated but I guarantee it is not for long. And that's the reality here. This culture is pervasive and it is unforgiving. You have to comply or you will be sent out into the cold. That is the only way they can do this. And the reason why is if you don't have the truth on your side, the only thing the other side can do is persecute you and silence you in whatever way possible. Why do you think Jesus was killed in the first place? He was killed because he was sharing the truth. He said to Pilate, I'm here representing the truth. And Pilate answered, what is truth? Where he was then offered up to the mob. And the mob had a choice. Don't forget this. The mob, which is all of the people that are whipped up into this frenzy today, said, Do you want to let Jesus go free, who really hasn't committed any crimes? Or do you want this murderer, Barabbas, to be free? What did they chant? Barabbas. And what did they chant to Jesus? Crucify him. We have not changed as a culture. We are just the same as this. For a while, perhaps in America, we were able to sidestep the nature of humanity by having a rule of law and by having a culture that believed there was more to this life, that believed in the morality based on biblical principles. But that is now gone. And end, like full stop. That's it. This morality is gone. We don't live in this culture anymore, and we have to acknowledge that. I will end as I began. I am happy that the court of justice has done its job in this case, but I am sad that the court of opinion has been irrevocably damaged by a lying media hell bent on pushing a narrative of hate. 
We must come together and pursue truth, even when it is uncomfortable, even when it is costly, even if you are hurt and confused, you have to pursue truth. This media is not objective. They have an agenda. And justice does not come from our feelings. It comes from the truth. And the truth is unsettling. It is not only in this instance, but to you personally. That's why the truth of the cross, the truth of what Jesus has done for you through his grace is so unsettling. Because we finally realize in ourselves the depth of our own depravity. And that's the beginning place. This world wants to find peace through external pressure, but the truth is, it's impossible. You cannot get peace through pushing people into the right place. The only peace you can actually find is in Jesus. And this world hates the truth and they hate real peace because this world is controlled by the devil who is, in fact, don't forget, the father of lies. Don't forget who the real enemy is. This thing that we're pressing, it's not a sides issue. It's not taking sides in this. It is a religion of the masses. We must treat it in this way. I'll leave you with a quote from a Jewish person turned communist, turned rebel, I'll put it that way, named Arthur Kessler, who wrote this in 1949. Quote, I became converted because I was ripe for it and I lived in a disintegrating society thirsting for faith. End quote. That was Arthur Kessler writing in 1949 about how much he loved communism. You can call it whatever you want. Neo-Marxism, communism, secular humanism. It, it all has the same foundation and the foundation is not God. And people are trying to create this new justice with any hyphen in front of the word justice that they can come up with. But the reality is it's not justice and it cannot be. This new religion is the same as all of the old ones. This religion creates a passion in the hearts of those that want to believe in something except for God. And they are ready to burn down anything and anyone that stands in their way. The only hope that we have, the only hope that we have is to proclaim the truth long and loud in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The time for silence is over. Speak now or forever hold your peace. God bless and as always, keep the faith.